The title of the message tonight is How Christ in You Can Change Everything About You. Now, I want to say that again because that is quite a thought, that the Christ who is living on the inside of you should and can change everything about you. Now, I want us to begin tonight by looking at a verse in the New Testament that I want us to memorize this phrase tonight. This is only part of a verse, but it's one of the most important verses in all the New Testament. It says this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's say that together. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, so much of life is mental. It's how we look at things. In fact, it says in the Scripture, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. And so when it comes to our relationship with Christ, I'm not saying that the relationship is purely in our mind. The relationship is a reality. It's a spiritual relationship. But there's a lot of different ways you can look at God. There's different ways you can look at Christ. You, you can, in your mind, imagine God in heaven as your Father, seated on the throne, in v- very much in control of everything that's happening on this earth. And that would be an accurate mental view of God. You could picture God. You could picture Christ as your friend, who is always beside you, and everywhere you go, he's right there with you. And I I have a lot of days like that when I, in my mind, I just imagine Jesus just right here next to me. And that would be an accurate picture uh, to think of it that way. You could picture Jesus, God, you could picture God right behind you. It says in the Scripture that he is our rear guard, and he comes behind us to protect us and watch over us and, and keep us safe. So you could picture God that way. You could picture God out in front of you, leading you. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads the sheep. And so there are a lot of different ways that you can picture God, and, and I think all of those are appropriate in different contexts. But having said that, the best way for you to view your relationship with God is not just God above us, God in front of us, God beside us, God behind us. Those are all great images. The best way, though, to view Christ is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately in my own life. I wasn't planning on talking about this tonight, but it's just been so in me, in my own relationship with God, that I've, I've been thinking about and v- even visualizing something in my mind that I've known for a long, long time, that when we became Christians, when we, when we received Christ, that He came to live on the inside of us, and so it is Christ in us. That is the hope of glory. When you read Paul's letters, he's always talking about being in Christ. And he's talking about Christ being in us. And so here's Jesus right in our hearts. Now, I want you to use your imagination. We're kind of already imagining how we typically think of God. I want you to stay with me on that path just for a little bit longer. Let's play like tonight. You get home from the service. You drive your car, park it in the garage. You close your garage door. You walk in the door. And there's Jesus seated at your kitchen table. There's Jesus sitting there. And you see him, and immediately you recognize that it's Jesus. And being the gentleman that he is, he stands up and welcomes you home, and you say, Jesus, I can't believe this is you. You're in my house. I I just can't believe it's you. How long have you been here? I've been at church tonight. I've been at First Baptist, and we had good music, and then John got up, and he preached, and, and he went a little long tonight, and, and Jesus said, some things never change, do they? Some things never change. He said, no, I knew where you were, and, and I knew when you would get home, and 
I just wanted to come and spend this time with you and you trying to be a good host. You say, well, Lord, have you had anything to, have you had anything to eat yet for dinner? And he says, well, no, I haven't. I was waiting on you to get home and then I want you to change and get comfortable and, and we can either go out to eat or we can prepare something here or whatever you'd like to eat. I'm just going to be with you. And so he's with you. Eat. You talk throughout the evening. You don't want to turn the TV on. Here's Jesus in the house with you. And before you go to bed, you're thinking, is this a dream? Is this real? I can't believe that Jesus is in my house with me. And you ask him the obvious question. You ask Jesus the question I would ask Jesus. You say, Jesus, how long are you staying? In other words, when I wake up in the morning, will you be here? How, is this real? And how long are you staying? And he says, it is real. It really is me. You're not having a, a hallucination or some kind of vision. You can touch my hand. I'm really here. And I'm going to stay with you for three years. Three years? You're going to stay with me for three? Yes. For the next three years, if it's okay, if it's okay of course it's okay. Three years, you're going to be For the next three years, Jesus says, I would like to stay in your house and live with you Go where you go, do what you do, meet your friends. I want to be with you for the next three years. Say, Jesus, this is more than okay with me. This is the greatest thing I've ever possibly has ever happened in my life. And listen, let me just show you the guest room. And here's your room, and that's where you'll be. But the whole house is yours. Anything that you want, it, it is yours. Jesus, just relax. I know where everything is. And if you run out of food, I can make my own <laughs> because we know we can, right? And so you go to bed, and he goes to bed. The next day, you both wake up, and you have breakfast together, and then it's time for you to go to work, and Jesus says, do you mind if I go to work with you today? No, I would love for you. It's you. It's Jesus. I want to introduce you to my friends. Jesus goes to work with you. You introduce him around. About 11 o'clock that morning, you have a staff meeting, and you're thinking, well, I would like to take Jesus into the staff meeting, but Jesus is not technically on the staff, and my boss is an atheist, and I don't even know what he would feel. I don't know what I should do here, and so Jesus is sensing that, and Jesus says, listen, I, I know you want me in the meeting, but I'm really not on the staff, so I'm going to stay in your office. You go to the meeting, and when you get back, I'll be here. And then you can work. I'll not be in your way, but I'll be in the office with you. And if you want to talk, we can talk. But I know you're at work. I'm going to let you work. When you come back for the meeting, I'll be here. You go to the meeting, you come back there. It's Jesus. You spend the rest of the day together. And you follow this routine for several weeks. One day, you have a business trip in Los Angeles, and you're thinking, I hope Jesus will go with me to Los Angeles because I'm getting used to having him around. And yet, you book the tickets, or you try to, and there's only one seat on the plane. You get home from work and you are talking to Jesus about this and you explain that on your next business trip to Los Angeles, you were unable to get him a ticket. And he says to you, that's okay. I knew there was only one seat on that plane. You go. You have to. It's your job. Don't feel badly that I can't go with you. When you get back, I'll be here. You go. You do your business. You come back. There's Jesus. And this pattern goes on. Remember, you've got Jesus with you for three years. There comes a time when you have to have gallbladder surgery. And so, the doctor schedules the surgery, and Jesus goes with you to the hospital, and, and uh, you're sitting with him in the waiting room. Your name is called. You have to go back, and Jesus says, look, I can't go any farther with you. They won't let family go beyond this point, but you'll be in surgery. No worries. I'll be in the waiting room. I'll be praying to the Father for you, and when you wake up in recovery, I'll be there. No worries, but even though you're in the operating room, I'm out here. Just know that I'm not leaving the hospital. I'll, I'll be here. And so this goes on like you have these experiences with Jesus for three years. Now, you still listen? Say amen, because I'm going somewhere with this illustration. At the end of the three years, 
Jesus says to you, I have really enjoyed this time with you. And I want to give you an option. In fact, I want to give you two options. And whichever option you choose, you can have. Option one, I will continue with you in your house, in the flesh, just like it's been for these three years. I will continue this on for the rest of your life. I will live in this house with you. And you're thinking, I don't know what option two is, but there's no way it's better than option one. I'm, and you almost say, give me option one. But Jesus says, remember, there are two options. Jesus, what's the second? The second option is I can go back to heaven. And when I go back to heaven, I will then come to live on the inside of you in the person of, my, of the Holy Spirit. It will still be me. You just won't be able to see me. You just won't be able to hear me with your ears, and you won't be able to reach out and touch me. And when you have breakfast and when you travel, you won't be able to see my presence, but I will still be with you. In fact, if you choose option two, what you need to know is option two is better than option one. Because if you choose for me to come live on the inside of you, it will even be a closer and a better relationship than it is right now. But he reminds you, remember though, you won't be able to see me. You won't be able to hear me with your ears. And you won't be able to reach out and touch me. But still, it will be a better relationship. Now, I don't know which of those two options you would choose, but I know this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus had a very similar experience with his disciples. At the end of his three years of ministry on the earth, he did not give them an option, the two options that I just gave in this illustration, but Jesus did say to his disciples, I'm about to go back to heaven. I'm about to return to my Father, and when I do, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And when you have the Holy Spirit, which is just me, Jesus was saying in another form, it's going to be better for you than if you had me in the flesh. Now, that said, open your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of John. And I want to show you a couple of very familiar passages, and then I want to try to just, again, develop tonight in words what I have been experiencing in my own mind lately and in my own relationship with God. And as I think about what he means in my own life. Now, in John chapter 14, this is very familiar scripture. This is the Thursday night before the crucifixion. And beginning in verse 1, Jesus in the upper room says to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is saying, I'm going away. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Three years with Jesus, day and night, meals, breakfast, trips, travels, boat rides. You've been with him three years, day and night. And now he says, I'm about to leave. It's not going to be the same. You're not going to be able to see me with your eyes, hear me with your ears, or reach out and touch me with your hands. Now, go to chapter number 16. He expounds on this a little bit more. And in verse number 16, Jesus says this, A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. 
because I go to the Father. And so Jesus is explaining that he's about to leave them. Now look up in verse number 5. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And so the disciples naturally became sad when they thought about Jesus leaving them, just like we would have been sad if he would have been leaving us. But look at verse 7. This is our main verse tonight. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus said to his disciples, it is better for you to have the Holy Spirit in your heart than it is is to have me by your side. But remember now, when Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit to you, he's sending us another form of himself because it is Christ, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ in another form. He is Jesus Christ in the Spirit instead of in the flesh. And so that's where Christ is. And Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, I want to ask a couple of questions tonight. How is it to our advantage to have Christ in us as opposed to having Christ with us? Many of us tonight would give all the money in our bank accounts if we could have three years with Jesus with us in the flesh. We would give give everything we had to have that. Well, Jesus said there's no need to do that because it's to your advantage to have me living in your heart. Now, let me just mention three things, not belaboring this, but I want to mention this. How is it to our advantage? Well, first of all, there's a practical advantage. There's a practical reason. If Jesus is with me in the flesh, if he's in my kitchen tonight, he can't be in your kitchen. He's not in your house. And even that illustration I just gave, when the businessman went to Los Angeles, Jesus wasn't on that trip. When the man went into surgery, Jesus was not in the operating room. When that man went to the staff meeting, Jesus was not in that room. Jesus, as a human being, could only be in one place at a time. And so when Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away so that you can have my spirit living in you, there's a practical reason for that. The good news is, because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus goes home with all of us tonight. And Jesus spends the night in our home, and Jesus wakes up with us, and we have breakfast with Jesus, and we go through the day tomorrow with Jesus. And so there's a practical reason that it's better to have Jesus in the Spirit than it would be to have him in the flesh. But I also think, in addition to a practical reason, there's a spiritual reason. If we only have Jesus in the flesh, what do we have? We have an example that we can follow. We can watch Jesus. Here's how he treats people. Here's how he responds when there's stress. And so we say, here's what Jesus did, and so I'm going to imitate Jesus. I'm going to act like Jesus. Well, that's good. It's good to imitate. We should follow Christ. But if he is living on the inside of us, think about this. It's not so much that we're imitating Jesus. It is that Jesus is imparting his life to us so that he is changing us from the inside out. He is changing us. We're not just, you know... In basketball, this is the NBA Finals. Steph Curry plays tonight, 1-1, Celtics Warriors. And Steph Curry is probably the greatest shooter that's ever been in the NBA. Well, I can go to a basketball court, and I can uh, try to shoot the ball like Steph Curry, but my imitation is never going to be as good as the real thing. 
But if somehow Steph Curry could be consumed in pill form, and I take this pill, and then now I'm doing what he do, he's doing because he somehow is, his powers are in me, that's another thing altogether. Well, that's how it is with Jesus. We have him, and he's changing us from the inside. But then I think there's a sentimental reason. When Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Here's what I think, one of the things I think Jesus was saying. He was saying, remember on the couch, Jesus says, do you want me to stay or go? If I go, you won't be able to see me or hear me or touch me. But what Jesus was really saying was, you'll be able to, it'll, it'll take faith. You'll have to trust me. And we know that faith pleases God. It's impossible to please God without faith. And so if I have Jesus, think about this. If I have Jesus living with me in the flesh, it doesn't take as much faith as it does for me to have Jesus living in my heart. Now, the title of the message, as I mentioned at the beginning, is How Christ in You Can Change Everything About You. Well, how does that happen exactly? How does the indwelling Christ, we're trying to, I mean, you don't have to, visual, you don't have to visualize Jesus in your heart. You don't have to visualize him at all. He's there, whether you visualize him or not. But if you choose to visualize Christ living in you, how does that change everything about your life? Whether you visualize him or not, just having Christ in you, how does that change everything about your life? Well, think about this. The indwelling Christ, first of all, gives you companionship. You're never alone. You have Christ living on the inside of you. And so, I'm never alone. On that business trip to L.A., he's with me. In that staff meeting, he's with me. In that operating room, he is with me. I'm never alone. I have constant companionship. That's a tremendous truth. That's a tremendous truth when that clicks with a person that I'm never alone. You know, loneliness is one of the biggest problems in the world today. It's a problem for people who live alone. It's a problem for people who don't live alone. I don't know how much that has to do with loneliness. You could argue that if you live alone, it's worse. In some ways, it is. But in some ways, if you have a lot of people in your house and you feel some kind of a detachment or like you don't fit in, there's a loneliness there that's it's different, but it can be just as severe. And so, but if we have Christ in us, we say, you know what? I'm never alone. He is living on the inside of me. The indwelling Christ gives us that companionship. He also gives us confidence and courage. Think about this. If you had Jesus in the flesh, you wouldn't be scared of anything. I got home from church on Sunday, and I was going to be home for about an hour. Then I was going to go over to my parents' house and, and spend some time with them on Sunday. I have, have spent some time, have some lunch with them is what I was going to do. And I went home. I left my garage door open for about an hour. And I went back an hour later to get in my car, and I saw a snake going across my garage. It was about... 15 feet long, I think it was a king cobra. I think that's what it was. So I saw that snake, and I'm thinking, man, what in the world am I going to do? I thought, in the future, I've got to close this garage door because it's so hot, it's so dry. Snakes are looking for cool places. They're looking for water. Well, I went over to get my shovel, and I, my shovel is a pointed shovel. I've got to go to Lowe's or Home Depot and get a flat shovel. You know, if you try to kill a snake with a pointed shovel, you better be good on that first strike or you're in a fight now. So I knew that, and I knew I had a friend living not far that, that is better with those shovels than I am, and I called him, and he came over, and I would say, we kill the snake together. He would say, John, watch me kill the snake, so however you want to look at it. But the point is this. If I would have had Jesus in the flesh, you think I'd have been scared of that snake? Nope. I'd have said, Jesus, you don't even need a shovel. Just speak the word, and that snake will be gone. The point is this. 
If we have Jesus, if we had Jesus in the flesh, we wouldn't be scared of anything because we would know that whatever we encountered in life, he would fix it. He would take care of it. He would fight the battle or calm the storm or whatever it is. But think about this. We have something better. We have Jesus living on the inside of us, and it gives us confidence. You know, like even right, right now, here I'm standing in front of you preaching a sermon. When I do this or when I do anything in my life, now I'm not saying I never get nervous because I do get nervous, but for the most part, I have confidence in my life Because I know that I'm not alone. Because I know that Jesus Christ is with me. And that confidence gives me courage. And I'm not saying that my faith never wavers. or I'm I'm not saying that because it does. But I'm saying as a whole, I I am a fairly, fairly, not as courageous as some people, but I'm a fairly courageous person because I know that Jesus is living on the inside of me and that I'm not alone and he's going to take care of me. And so the indwelling Christ gives us confidence and it gives us courage. Here's what I mean by that. That whatever we face in life, We'll never face anything that's bigger than Christ. We never will. That, that with Christ, we're never in the minority. We're never outnumbered if we have Christ. You know, they, someone has said, Christ plus you equals a majority. Well, there's a sense in which that's true. We're, we're never outnumbered. And then the indwelling Christ gives us immediate conviction. If we only had Jesus in the flesh... And we're on that trip in Los Angeles, and he's back at our house because we couldn't get a ticket for him. And we're in Los Angeles, and we commit some sin in L.A. Jesus is not there to convict us. He's back at our house. But if we have the Holy Spirit, there is immediate conviction. Now, you're in John chapter 16. Look down in verse number 8. Jesus said, and when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. One of the ways I know I'm saved is I can't get away with anything without feeling guilty about it. The Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. There's immediate conviction. And I I need that. I want that. And I have that because Christ is in me. And when I think something or say something or do something, then I get immediately convicted of that sin. And then the indwelling Christ gives you, think about this, internal communication with God himself. That is, when, with Christ living in me, it's not that when I pray, I mean, I do, I do sometimes visualize God as my Father because He is, and I, I visualize God on the throne because He is, and, and it's, sometimes I look up when I pray, and that's fine. But in reality, I could look right down here when I pray, because I, and I have, I have communication, and you have internal communication with God Himself. Think about this. As Christians, we have it better than Moses had it. We have it better than David had it. You know, we think about David, this tremendous relationship he had with God and how close they were. He's a man after God's own heart. And God and David were super close. But we have it much greater than David had. We have Christ on the ends. We have it better than Moses. Yeah, but God spoke to Moses up on that, mount, on that mountain, and God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Yes, he did. But God spoke to Moses. I mean, God came down in the cloud. I understand that. But still, God and Moses were somewhat detached. God spoke to Moses with a, at a burning bush. Think, man, I wish God would speak to me at a burning bush. But think about that. If the bush is on burning here and God is speaking to you out of that bush, the bush is there and you are here, there's some space between you and God. But having Christ living on the inside, he speaks to us from the inside. Now, I want to give several verses tonight. We have it be- I'll tell you one other thing on this, we have it better than Moses and David. We have it better than Adam and Eve had it before sin entered the world. I think sometimes we think, man, 
Adam and Eve, they had it. They had the setup. No sin, which means they had no conflict with each other. There was no sickness. They never would have died. It was a perfect environment. And every day in the evening time, God came and went on a walk with them. We think, man, if we could just go back to the Garden of Eden before the fall of man, before the sin. I will be the first to say, Adam and Eve had it quite good then. But think about this. They, even then, they did not have God living on the inside of them. That, 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 that whole concept of God being on the inside of us was completely foreign in Old Testament times. And that's why Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It was a mystery that was revealed in New Testament times with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so we have it better. I mean, it's hard to believe because in our world, we do have conflict. We do have sickness. We do have death. We do have problems. I mean, all over the world, we have problems. And yet, even with all that going on, we have it better then Adam and Eve had it in the sense that we have God living on the inside of us. And on the inside of us, what does God do? God speaks to our heart. Now, I'm going to put some verses, or we're going to put some verses on the screen tonight about how God speaks to us. And so I want us to begin with Psalm 81, verse 13. God is talking, and God said, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. And so here's God. And God is desiring to communicate with his people. But his people were busy. His people were doing other things. And they wouldn't listen to him. But in the heart of God, there was a desire to communicate with his people. Oh, that my people would listen to me. So what I'm saying is, God wants to communicate with us. And then this verse from Daniel chapter 2. Look at this. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. The key word when you think about your relationship with God is, well, I just gave the key word. It is relationship. When you think about God, the key concept here is a relationship. Just like a husband and wife, you have a relationship. You're married. You communicate. You talk. Well, we have a relationship with God. And in that relationship, he wants to talk. And here we saw the verse that, okay, okay, I'll show that. We saw the verse in in, in Daniel 2 that says there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Now, this next verse in Psalm 25, look at this. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Say that with me. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And so sometimes God has secrets. Daniel 2, 28, there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. In other words, God living on the inside of you has some things he wants to tell you that he himself considers to be secrets. And yet he will tell you. I'll show you another verse. This is a powerful verse. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Look at this. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. That verse says God's not going to do anything without first revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now, we could talk today about, are there any prophets today? Or does that apply today? I think it does apply today in the sense, I don't think there are any prophets in today's time like there were Old Testament prophets. But I think, I know there are still servants of God. And I think God many times tells his servants what he's going to do before he does it. And I'm sure you've had that experience, and I have too. Now, it's interesting 
how much of this to tell? On, on Saturday night, I'll give you the Reader's Digest of this. On Saturday night, I, was, I had been listening to a sermon on television, and I had turned that off, and I was in the kitchen, and I was washing dishes, and I was reflecting on what I had heard in the sermon. And I was kind of praying it over. I was praying about, I was just praying about what I had heard in the sermon. And to some extent, I'm, I'm, I'm really cutting this down, but to some extent, the sermon was about the promises of God, especially how those promises apply to our future. And so I was just kind of thinking about that and thinking about the promises of God, thinking about the future. We all think about the future. I kept thinking about that. I got in bed Saturday night, about 11.30. And I was in bed, and I'm thinking about that. And so I'm turning my thoughts from that sermon into a prayer. And I said, God, I know you have many promises in the Scripture, and I know you have a future for everybody and have a future planned for me. And I, I just asked God this question. I said, God, what are you going to do in the future? I was asking that. And he didn't give me any specific answer, but he gave me, and he did give me an answer. He gave me all I needed to know. He gave me a verse out of Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25. And I want to put this verse on the screen. It says this, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, I'm telling you in very minuscule detail what I was experiencing on Saturday night because I'm, I'm wanting to make application to your life. As I was lying in bed, I felt like God spoke this word to me. He said, here's what I'm going to do in your future. I'm going to do what's right. And then I felt like God said, here's something else I'm going to do in your future. I'm going to do what's best for you. Now, you may say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't move me. Well, it may not, but it moved me on Saturday night because I, I knew in my spirit that I had had a word from God that he was going to do in my future what's right, shall not the judge of all the earth do right, and he was going to do what was best for me. Now, tonight, I'm preaching to you. I want to say this. When you think about your future and you think about what's going to happen to you down the road. And you think about, I wonder what God's going to do. I'll tell you what God's going to do in your future. He's going to do what's right, and he's going to do what's best for you. Now, you ought to say amen to that, because that's true. That, that was a very comforting word to me. In fact, have you ever had one of those nights where you were worried about something and you couldn't go to sleep? I had something happen to me Saturday night. I had so much peace. I did go to sleep, but I kept waking up every little bit. I just was so full of peace, I couldn't sleep. I just thought, and there's more to that, there's more to that whole deal, but I just thought, this is a, God has given me a word that's very peaceful. So I woke up Sunday morning, and I was still thinking about that. God, you're going to do in my life, this is true for everybody, all of our life, he's going to do what's right, and he's going to do what's best for us. So what that means is, there's never going to come a day in your life where God's going to just drop you off and move on to something else. God's going to finish what he started. He's going to do what's right, and he's going to do what's best for you. And so when I woke up on Sunday morning, I was thinking about that very familiar verse in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, where God said, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that verse just came, it was just... 
the Spirit just gave me that verse. And so I'm, I'm, walking, I'm walking through my house on Sunday morning, getting ready for church. And I thought, now, Lord, that ver- when it says, for I know, you know the thoughts that you think toward us, thoughts of peace. Here's what, I thought, what is that word in the Hebrew Bible? Could that word peace be shalom? So I went and looked it up, and it is. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, thoughts of shalom. So I got my dictionaries, and I'm looking up the word shalom. And in, 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 what is this? I mean, I know what it means, but what does it mean? This would be a good thing for you to do if you have Bible dictionaries or online. Just look up, what does the word shalom mean? And there are just a ton of meanings. But as, as I read all those multiple meanings, I think I, I was able to categorize all those mean, definitions in three words or three ideas. And I just want to end my sermon tonight. I'm sharing what God put on my heart before I even came to church on Sunday, but I'm trying to do it in such a way to apply it to your life as well. God says when it comes to our future, He knows the thoughts that He has for us, and they're thoughts of shalom, they're thoughts of peace. They're not bad thoughts. God's going to do what's right, and He's going to do what's in your best interest. God's not going to do something in your future that's bad for you. And these are the three ideas behind shalom. Wholeness, to be completed, and restoration. And that's how I began my, I thought, God, I'm already whole in you. I'm already complete in Christ. Colossians 2.10, you know, we're complete in Him. And restoration. And I thought, God, it's a beautiful concept. This is a beautiful thing that you have promised in the Bible. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And so in your life, as you think about your future, what is God going to do out there? I don't know the specific answer to that question, but I know this. God's going to do what's right. God's going to do what's best for you. And when it comes to your future, God's got shalom planned. God's got wholeness planned for you. And remember, that wholeness and that completeness is all wrapped up in your relationship with Christ. We are complete in Him. And then restoration. Joel 2.25, I love that verse. It says, God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. If you feel like you've lost some years to your life, maybe to sin, maybe to doubt or worry or fear or whatever it is, think, man, I wish I'd go back and replay that. Those years, can't do it that way, but what God will do, God will restore that. And so all of that to say, living on the inside of us in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit is none other than Jesus Christ himself. In fact, we have Jesus Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, all three members of the Trinity, in our hearts in the person of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things he wants to do is he wants to communicate with us, oh, that my people would listen to me. And so I just encourage you, you know, it's just, like I say, this is just kind of what, where I am right now in my own life. I just encourage you to be a good listener <laughs> and to have some time in your daily schedule where the TV's off and the noise is, there's no noise, it's quiet, and you're able to hear what God the Spirit might speak to you, Cer- certainly, first and foremost, through His Word, but also Just let him speak. You know, many of the things that God brings to my memory are things I've read in the Word. But then sometime God will give me another Word that never contradicts the Word, but maybe it's something that's very specific in my life. And I know he does the same for you. And so, you know, the title of the message tonight, How Christ in You Changes Everything About You.
I hope tonight, at least to some extent, we have answered how that's possible. And I just encourage you as you go from here tonight, go with the full knowledge that you go home with Jesus and you walk in your house with Jesus. And tomorrow morning when you wake up, you wake up with Jesus and let him speak to you. Let him tell you secrets. Let him tell you things and let him guide you in the best possible path for you to take. Amen. So, Father, we thank you that even though the human of us would sure love to have you in the flesh, I can't think of anything that would make me much happier tonight than to go home and see you standing in my kitchen. But, God, I take your word at face value, and I believe in my heart that I have something better than you in the kitchen. I have you on the inside of me. And, God, I just pray that I'll be a good listener and that I'll be a good host to the Holy Spirit. And God, I thank you when it comes to my life and everybody who's listening tonight, their lives, that you have a fantastic future planned for us. And it involves wholeness, and it involves completeness, and it involves restoration. And God, it involves everything that would be good for us. And at the same time, it involves what's right. So it's not just what we think is good for us. It's what you know is good for us. And it's what's right in your eyes. Now with your head bowed and eyes closed tonight, would you ask God to give you a deeper awareness of His presence in you than you've ever had in all your life? That would just increase your confidence and your courage. and It'd just change everything about your life. Some here tonight would say, John, that's really remarkable what you've just stood up here and said, but I don't think I have Christ in me because I've never invited him in. Well, if that's true tonight, he's standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. And if you'll open that door, he will come in. Would you pray this prayer now? Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. In your name I pray, and all the people...